off the ball. It's actually quite an ugly game um, from spectator's point of view, but I think that the whole of Ireland doesn't really care. <laughs> Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. You ain't shit! I wish I was 50 years younger you and I'd care. kick your ass. <laughs> My fans can be the harshest critics, you know. And they often are. A wife is often the harshest critic of her <laughs> husband. <laughs> I thought I was invincible. That's what you're, you're trained to believe as a sports person. There was four million people in Ireland who knew much more about managing <laughs> football teams than I did. When it comes to music, I can spoof with the best. Your sporting career is the best time you'll have, and, you know, you have to hang on to it for as long as your life, because everything else is pretty crappy. And this is not lies. Stephen Rochard has never spoken to Jim McGinnis in his life. And this is the Saturday panel on Off the Ball on News Talk with John Duggan uh, on the show here till five. We're on the panel now until about two thirty-five. You can text us five three one zero six. We're streaming the conversation as well. You can listen on News Talk, but also watch us on the digital and social channels if you have a phone or a device on YouTube, on Facebook, and on the uh, OTB Sports app and on our Twitter page as well at Off the Ball. This week we're chatting all things Leitrim. Uh, with the former Leitrim goalkeeper Martin McHugh, forward Liam Conlon and manager John O'Mahony. So Martin, this week, in conjunction with the Irish Sun sports writer Jason Byrne, has written a book about his life called Born to Save. So we decided this week to recap on all things Leitrim, all things GAA, about that Connacht senior football title win of 1994, the last to date, only the second in their history. Liam, you're in studio with me. How is the form, Liam? Keeping well? Very good, yeah, thanks. Uh, you're Ballinamore man. And Martin and John are on the line. So Martin and John, how's the form? They're not bad now, all good now. And John, are you keeping well? Yeah, perfect, yeah. Yeah, good to see you both, good to see you both. Um, this is going to be a great chat, really looking forward to it. What we'll do probably for the first half, we'll talk about Leitrim and then for the second half, talk a bit, a bit, a bit about more general life, guys. Um, uh, and Martin, like I really enjoyed reading the book over the last couple of days. You grew up in uh, Achnashilin in County Leitrim. And really, I think at the start of life back in the 70s and 80s, it was just mainly farming and football. There wasn't even a pub in your village. No, it's just a, a, a small rural village in a, between Ballinamore and Drumshambo. And life at home was like everyday living, uh, working on a farm and pulling and dragging, bringing in bales of hay, doing up in the turf and... No, yet yet chores every day before we even thought of going down in a training field. And Amy grew up in Ballinamore, so there's that iconic photo of Declan Darcy and Tom Gannon in the 1994 Connacht final celebrations at Dr Hyde Park. So Tom was the captain in 1927, and he was 95 years of age at the time then, in, in 1994. So yeah, he um, Tom was in, lived next door to us, right? And um, his son Dermot was an iconic player also. Won um, colleges all Ireland with St Mills and um, won a few championships with Ballinamore and a pretty good player, county player also. Yeah. So so you were in the panel quite a few years by the time you got to the... Yeah, I was one of the older <laughs> lemons, I suppose you could call it that, <laughs> yeah. uh, at the time. So um, I, I was in and out of the county team, you know, I hadn't really given it that much seriousness early on, you know, but... Um, Until John came in. Well, PJ Carroll. Uh, That's right, PJ Carroll. Yeah, um, put a start to um, what was probably required at inter-county level. Yeah, and um, I think we were languishing in Division Four when he took over. I think it was around '92 or something. He took yeah. took over, and he brought a good bit of impetus to the to the setup. Because it didn't come from nowhere, did it, Martin? You won the uh, under twenty one Connacht title in 1991. Yeah, I was um, on the panel the year before when Martin McGowan was the keeper. And I was a sub, like, but I knew uh, by the way training was going that this is this is what what has it take to to uh, try to be number one. And when I was on a panel in the the following year with, under Peter Carroll, I sort of like had to do my own work and get my own head right to try and push for the number one jersey. And you don't uh, you don't get a jersey just because you're on rage the, the following year. You have to work really hard behind the scenes, you know. And me height at five or seven didn't really help much, you know, but. For myself, you know, I just really worked hard and knuckled down and got to jersey for the Connacht final. You're a proud male man, John O'Mahony. Um, you'd go on to manage uh, Galway to win a couple of All-Ireland titles. But why Leitrim? Why did you decide to take the Leitrim Challenge, John? Well, I suppose, first of all, I was asked to do it. But I, I saw it as, uh, as obviously, I'm, I'm living in Balahadreen, which is kind of in the middle of Connacht. So I was, you know, about ter- less than 30 kilometers to Carrick and Shannon uh, so 
it was management was my game at that stage. I wasn't wanted. I suppose uh, in Mayo, I had done four wonderful years with them, was privileged to do that. But uh, management at the time, I suppose Mick O'Dwyer had set a trend by going to Kildare around that time. And I, I had never thought about going to another county apart from Mayo, but it, the opportunity came up. And, uh, you know, I, I was reading at the time, I think Eugene McGee was mentioned and Peter McGinnity. So Tony McGowan, God be good to him, uh, he rang me and said, would you be interested in putting your name forward? And I said, look, at, if, if, if there are others there, try them first and come back to me. Uh, if 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 you want, you know, if if you if you feel that I can do the job, and he was back within a couple of days and told me the job was mine if I wanted it. So I met the players, met a group, few of the players. I fell in love with the place. Really, you know, the intimacy and the smallness. I suppose of the, mm-hmm. it was an advantage to be honest. Twenty five thousand population, about twelve senior clubs. But they had been going close, and as Liam said there, uh, yeah, and, and you said earlier on, there was straws in the wind. They had won an Unsley one title, they had won an All Ireland B title, uh, and they were, I suppose, saw me as somebody who had won two Connacht titles with me all the time, and that was that was their next aim. And once, I suppose, what what what's really sealed it for me was the county. I, I asked the county board, was it okay to meet a few of the players? Uh, and uh, I did and basically I got the impression from that that they'd do anything to win a Connacht title and uh, and uh, on the way home from that meeting I said to myself I'm going to throw myself in here and, and you know it was a great learner for me as well and, and, and uh, uh, to advance if you like I had done, I had been a player I had been a referee, I'd been all kinds of things but I suppose the second best to playing is being a in management and and uh, it was a different game back in the 90s than it is now but it it certainly was it really really enjoyed my my four years there what were your guiding principles then john in terms of making leitrim players uh, believe that they could do this what were, what were the principles that you brought to the table the methods as it were the, the john amani um, book to win this well, i'd rather i'd rather the, the lads to say that i, yeah. I had I have had a peak preview at Martin. He is he 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 has uh, given given away some of the secrets of '94, which is no harm at this stage. I think it's they're safe enough out there. Uh, but I suppose really what I suppose Leitrim to, to to be to be honest about it, Leitrim had a history of defeats uh, over the years. You know, and some near misses and. Coming up to 94, they were very close. Roscommon had been the bane of their life over the, I think, the early 90s. Liam might be able to uh, articulate that better even. But I was at all those matches. I mean, it was at every Connacht Championship match in those years. And I saw how close they were coming. Uh, and very little would have would have tipped the balance. And, and I suppose the message that I was trying to implant was you know, Leitrim may, may haven't won a Connacht title since, 19, since 1927, but just as no team has a divine right to be winning always, no team has a divine right to, to lose always either. And that was the message I needed implanted deep in the mind. And, and, and to be honest, when that was, that was what, what got them over the line. So the way that everybody bought into the unity of purpose uh, was the reason that they made it happen, and I think I think the other crucial thing was the unity of purpose between county board, uh, management, players, supporters. It was a, you know, it was easier. Like people say, of the disadvantages Leitrim might have had, but it was it was easier to get a family atmosphere in Leitrim than maybe some of the bigger counties. So there was advantages too. And we say, if you weren't successful, for instance, in 93, our first year in the championship, we beat Galway for the first time, I think in 45 years or something. Roscommon caught us in the semi-final uh, by, by two points. But in, in other counties, in the bigger counties, the Mayos or the Galways, you know, you'd maybe have 10 changes in the panel starting the next year. But in Leitrim, it wasn't like that. You were you were always looking for the one or two or three gyms to come forward. But that was it. You sat down with the same players, 
basically saying we're going to have to get better here. And like we had a lot of experience and, and in, in some ways it reflected what happened in Galway later on. We had the Mickey Quinns, the Liam Conlans, the Pat Donahue's, you know, experienced players and, and, and a number of others, George Dugdales and so on, a number of others as well. Yeah. And, Uniting that with the younger players was a key part of it as well. So, Liam, did you feel like you were physically and psychologically primed to have a run at this in 1994? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was once, mm-hmm. once, we, once we committed to the job, every yeah. every waking moment was how do we get the slight edge here, and you know, and I suppose the first year was mainly as much talking as training because it was about the the mental side of it just as much because if you get the mental side of it and the attitude side of it right there will be setbacks and there'll be setbacks in it when what people would more so maybe in what people would say so-called weaker teams but you learn from each one you build layer by layer inch by inch and you get there at the end and that's what made it i think really really special what they what they did in those years and and i'm saying that deliberately what they did. I mean, I was merely putting out signposts. They were following them. So talk to us, Liam, about the journey uh, in 1994, because you had to do the hard way. You had to beat Ross Common, Galway in a replay and Mayo to win that Connacht title. Yeah, that's true, all right. But uh, up to that point, uh, we we were we started off more or less in Division 4. We were languishing there for a few years, yeah. then went to Division two, 3 and up to Division uh, up to Division 2. And I think that in itself was significant because we're playing pretty good quality teams and I think in 91 or 92 we were in a whisker of going to Division 1 Yeah, and that was so we we had a certain amount built up at that time but also then playing Bruscom and the arch enemy I suppose um, they, I just felt that they were a little bit more physical than us they were maybe a little bit more experienced but as John was saying as the, in the years from that 91, <coughs> 92 and 93 there was a good hard core of players there they understood what was required of them and they understood the journey we had to go as it gets especially in the physical demands of the of the setup you know we really needed to be physically in good nick and john pushed that further again um if you can even for a moment mention the sand dunes of sligo got yeah we got fair torture up there <laughs> over, over the winter months Mar- Mar- martin's <laughs> mentioned it at length in the book <laughs> yeah, so so that left us in good stead then for for ninety four. So we we did understand that we knew what was required. And also, Martin, the snow you talk about in the book, you were training in snow, and you had to come down from wherever you were working at the time. Yeah, I remember the the, the day well. Um, it started to snow when I was working, and um, I rang John as to say that it's snowing here and it's sticking. And he saw like mentioned like it's a bit late to call off training, so. We'll go ahead with training, and John used to pick me up in Longford. We were training Kells that night, and John used to pick me up at half six. So we decided to go that bit an hour earlier, just allow for the snow and all that, you know. And in fairness, now that night in particular, every player made training that night, and uh, you know, we I know we we had uh, been messing around before training started, but he remember putting out the four corners in the field and and the four corners of Kells field. It's a, it's a fairly big field, and we had to do laps, but John made sure that. With the marks in the snow, no, nobody was going to cut corners, and obviously somebody did. But my short legs and small feet, I got to blame. But uh, I think it, it stood to us that training on a night on a night like that was going to make us really mentally strong. That nothing's going to beat us. Even uh, every man could come up with excuses that even what well, I can't go training because of snow or I can't go training because the roads are bad. You know, we we had an aim an aim in our heads was to win the championship. So every every player made the effort that that night. Not just that night. There's nice we there's days we train in um, Harrigan Shannon in a a muck wetty uh, muck and a wetty field as well, with the Montreal fell. So no matter where training was or whatever conditions we had, every man made the effort to train that year. Yeah, I I think uh, sorry if I just could come in there. The background to that night we all remember that night. But the background was that I came over from school at four o'clock. I, lived beside the school. Uh, Ollie Honeyman happened to be working in Kells or in Mead that day. And it was actually snowing here in, in Balladrine at four o'clock. But I, I rang Ollie 
Uh, Ali was there wasn't many mobile phones around, but Ali had one, so I, I got to, got in touch with him, and he said it's fine here yet. So I says, right, we're going with trading now. Whatever happens, it's going ahead, and I think. Uh, possibly one car with a couple of players was delayed because uh, uh, an articulated lorry jackknifed in front of them. Uh, I think Martin might have remembered the night. We we actually slid sideways for a, f- a few because we had to go very slowly, but we left early and, and all got there. And I really got the feeling with the attitude of the players on that night, With about there was about four inches of snow on the pitch when we got there. Uh, and the fact that we went through it, it was it was a novelty in some respects. And uh, it, it, it wasn't so much what you did, but it was the principle of, of we're not going to be stopped here, I think. And I did remind them, and I think, I, again, a sneak preview, I think Martin mentioned this in his book, uh, that, you know, I says, look at the night we win the Connacht final, lads, we'll remember this night, you know. it was So it was a kind of a, a touchstone for, for the sacrifices that had been put on at various places in the training. It, like the 90s, the early 90s, football was much different than it is now. Training methods were m- much different. And I suppose the, the, the training and the sand dunes are mentioned in Forest Park and all of this stuff. But it was m- so much, it was much more the, 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 the what that implanted in, in, in people's minds of, of sacrifice and of, well, we're ready, everything is done here, you know. And that epitomised Martin and, and Liam and everyone in the squad as well, you know. Yeah, Martin, and also like psychological things like getting a guard escort, those were important little things to happen. Yeah, but John was, uh, you know, he'd done all the work be- behind the scenes, but never told any of the players. You know, like uh, that, I think the first one in the championship, we, we, we had a team bus to bring us to um, a quiet location not too far from Hyde Park and, you know, a bit of food and fruit and a bit of tea and all that was set up for us and all, like, you know, which is which is nice, like, you know, I, like I never had it before and Lean probably had it for the few years before that. But for me, it was like um, something new. But we were, we were all relaxed outside the, the, the location and all that. Next thing, the... the squad car turned up like you know I said Jesus who's in trouble here like you know <laughs> so, so it was a, it was a, a guard escort to go from the location to the park to say John's mind was like we're, we're, we're a, a team and we're we're just as important as our scammer so we're going to have a guard escort to the Hyde Park and have people take notice this is a good team coming yeah, and also um, the psychology I read in the book that uh, John put up a newspaper a bit like what he did to Galway a few years later was it Mayo 35 Leitrim 1 Martin yeah, I think that's um, I think it's really for the Connacht final, like uh, I guess uh, Mayo. Uh, he had a John O'Donnell talking up. He finished off with a, a caption on a paper where Mayo had so many Connacht types and Leitrim and won. And then he, his last line was, "Let's change this record, lads." That was it. We walked out of the hotel room after that. It's a bit like the fancy yeah. fancy dance, John. A bit like that one. Yeah, well, look, the whole thing about about the team bus and actually another thing that wasn't in vogue at the time, but we we introduced it gradually was was uh, was a uniform casual gear going to matches. I'm not sure uh, was where where um, you know Tony McGowan again collected sponsorship somewhere and we got a set of green and gold t-shirts for the first game and then we added a little bit for the next game uh, slacks and by the time we got to the All-Ireland semi-final they were in blazers and again it was <laughs> it was it was about I suppose I remember we went to a challenge match shortly after it took over and there was some arriving in minibuses and uh, cars and all the rest of it and I says look what we need to create a uniformity here a bonding the team coach was Leitrim 1993 or Leitrim 1994. In other words, that we're proud to be associated with Leitrim. We're proud to be associated with the with the colours. And in fact, at that time, they were introducing a bib for the manager on the sideline, you know, with Bonnestor on it or whatever. And I remember having a bit of a disagreement with the Connacht Council officials. It was in blue. So I said, look, at, I will wear... A, I will wear a, a bib if it's in green and gold colours. Okay. Bonnet, and I think Tommy Morton, he never told me, but I think he, his wife might have produced that so that I that it, it worked and we were, I, the team was saved from any fines. Okay. From Connacht. 
Bill or anything else. You okay, know? got to take a break. John O'Mahony, Liam Conlon, and Mark McHugh on all things Leitrim in 1994. We're back after the news. 53106, if any questions or texts for the panel. Back after this. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball. And this is Off the Ball Saturday on News Talk. John Duggan with you through to five. You can text us 53106 or tweet us at Off the Ball. This is part two of the Saturday panel. We're chatting to the former Leitrim goalkeeper Martin McHugh, forward Liam Conlon, and manager John O'Mahony, all involved in that Connacht title win of 1994. And Martin, in conjunction with the Irish Sun sports writer Jason Byrne, has written a book about his life called Born to Save. So we've decided this week to recap on Leitrim and all things about that Gaelic football and life as well. Only two Connacht titles for Leitrim, 1927, 1994. And Martin, in that final against Mayo, you won by 12 points to 2-4, but you conceded the goal after 15 seconds, and then you saved a penalty. Yeah, it was a mixed bag of um, saves and mishaps and all that, you know. But, um, you know, like <clears throat> I think um, at the first 25, 30 seconds, there's a high ball came in, and I called for it, and... Seamus might dispute this, but um, I called for it, but Seamus ran across me and he called for it. And we threw his hands, my hands at the back of the net. But I remember doing an interview after the game and the, the question was asked, what happened? I sort of said like, in a funny way that we we're going to win the game. I decided to give me a chance, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, look, and then, the, you know, I made another save, in, I think midway through the second half, or near the end of the, sorry, the end of the second half, yeah. But before that, um, there was a penalty given away as well. And uh, I saved the penalty, but uh, they got rebound. So, um, you know, I was very, very annoyed with that little part. But you got through it. You got through it. The joy it gave people of Leitrim, Liam, that day and winning that Connacht title. And Yeah, there was a um, huge emotion displayed that day, all right. Um, the pitch invasion and all of what goes with that. So, yeah, there was huge elation for them. Um and delighted to be part of it obviously um the game itself it was a bit wet the surface on the on the on the hide was a little bit damp and all of that but um as martin said after the goal went in it's uh, typical that Seamus wouldn't be listening to martin even though it could be the other way around um but the goal yeah was a little bit of a setback but we were mentally well prepared and we were you know there well primed for the game we weren't really nervous on okay. on the occasion you know um, so we kind of recovered that ground pretty okay and probably should have went up more half time but look at them I thought we were the better side overall but um, Mayo made a couple of late substitutions and they did have an impact for Mayo that day so in the end we were lucky we were happy to get out with, with, with the way we did Do you remember the celebrations then? <laughs> yeah, um, a few pit stops on the way home. Pit stops, yeah. <laughs> uh, we enjoyed them. And um, I suppose we ended up then in, in Carrick um, that night and um, thousands of people around. God, it was um, it was something to behold, really. And the whole experience of then going to Croke Park and playing the dubs in an All-Ireland semi-final. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was glad it was the dubs in one way because even for the colour of the jersey, I think they had beaten me in the... In, or the... I think they had won the the, the Dublin Mead games yes. anyway, so yeah. so the the clash of colour of jersey wouldn't have been wouldn't have been great around the stadium, but the, every the dynamic of the the hill and the dubs brings its own colour. But I personally was really looking forward to it. You know, the, just the whole thrill of Croke Park and what that brings. You know, it's just excitement of it and. It's a thrill to play there, especially in Full House and all of what goes with it, you know. And people flying in probably from all around the world. Literally. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Diaspora, is it? Yeah, exactly. Australia and America, they came really from everywhere, you know. And yeah. um, that brought it, that brought the real sense of occasion to the whole, the whole day and the whole weekend, as it were, really, yeah. Martin, you kind of felt in the book that it got away from you a bit, that game. Yeah, it's one game I, I, in my life now, like, uh, I regret because... Like we stayed in the night uh, in the hotel before that, and we're all, we we all are relaxing all that. And as usual, we had a guard escort to go from the hotel down to Crow Park, and you know, come down. Um, I think it was Neil's pub, and there was oh, there was thousands of Leitrim supporters there, like you know, and the nerves are kicking in. And John had playing in the background. I think it was uh, Tina Turner, simply the best. And my palms, the hands are sweating as well, like you know, and. We were in the stands for a while, I think, at a, the minor game, just to soak in the atmosphere and all that, you know. And um, running out of the field uh, for the game itself, um, I was piped up. I was probably too piped up. 
and uh, we're doing the, the usual warm up and all that and then walking behind the band I'd be head down maybe over focused on the game and you know, my legs were jelly and all that but as the game went on we I made I think I think he made a save from Charlie Mc, Charlie um, yeah. Charlie yeah Redmond yeah and uh, then they got a goal or two after that and you know it, it, the game went away I think towards the end of the first half yeah, yeah I think I think uh, you know the whole idea of, of the All Ireland semi-finals was obviously really outside the comfort zone at that stage. I think the big setback in the first half was George Doyle being carried off with, a, with what turned out to be a cruciate ligament injury. Um, but it was—I mean, it was real history in the making because when 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 um, Leitrim won in 1927, they played the All Ireland semi-final, I think, against Kerry in in Chum Stadium, as far as I remember from or learned in history books. Uh, so Noel Morden had the distinction from our number five of, of getting the the first point that ever Leitrim ever got in Crow Park. Uh, and, you know, so we, we actually led the game after about eight or nine minutes by three points to one. Uh, and uh, somebody after a supporter that night said he had the picture of the scoreboard showing Leitrim winning in Crow Park and he was going to treasure it was a priest actually who had flown in from America that he was going to treasure for the rest of his life uh, so you know I suppose the regret was <coughs> so much that we didn't get back there the following year because I felt I felt and we all felt that we could have progressed and Galway caught us in the in the first round the following year in the last we, we led by two points into injury time and and Galway got you know three points to, to to beat us and they had been going through like we had tortured them over the previous year so you know it, it was ironic I suppose uh, the three players that got the points I think Jeff Allen Sean Dupuyer possibly and Neil Finnegan were, were a major part of the, the Galway team that I that I managed later, but it was I know it was it was a wonderful location, but I suppose that the one regret that of the four years in Leitrim, I think of all of us would have had, would, would be that we didn't get back there to, to use the experience. In other words, we wouldn't be outside our comfort zone in an All Ireland semi final the following year. So that's that was just it. But look at we 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 have no complaints in in many respects because it was a wonderful wonderful journey where everyone whether they were playing or not or subs or whatever were all contributing and everyone contributed to a wonderful adventure uh, it's hard when it's knockout isn't it Liam yeah it is definitely um, I suppose yeah as John recalled there on the um, that uh, Dublin game I think the magnitude of the occasion hit us when we were drove down the bus on Clonderf Road and the thousands of people sweating the streets and then the packed stadium, the roar, the, the noise in the stadium when when you're leaving the dugout was was something else. So you really needed to take your second win and take a breath in to um, to understand what it was all about, you know. But um, yeah, as John says, I think we did start very well, and I mean a bit of a think a bit of a dodgy goal. Dublin's first throw us back a bit. That was coming on to um, half time. I think that put it six up as opposed to three, and um, that kind of took the stuff and off. Was like, but you know, we I think we performed pretty well. But also, as John is saying there, that um, ninety-five definitely was a missed opportunity because we we were just probably at the peak of our powers then. Um, ninety-two, ninety-three, yeah, we just probably weren't fully there. But definitely in ninety-four and ninety-five was a huge loss. Ninety-five in particular. Um, hurt us very badly. Mm. If we had if we had beaten Galway, uh, George Dugdale would have been ready for the next game. Uh, mm. he, he had got his operation and he was on the comeback trail, and 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 so on. So it 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 would have been because as it happened, Galway after beating us that in the semi final, they actually demolished Mayo in the Connacht final. Mm. And and uh, and only and went on to lose by Tyrone to, by a couple of points I think, and Tyrone in turn then uh, um, lost by a point to Dublin. So yeah. we would have Tyrone was in our league group and we would have beaten them. Uh, we would have beaten them in '94 in our group in the league. So there would have been no fear there. Uh, of, of of meeting Tyrone in an All Ireland semi final, but so be it. I mean, yeah. we can't. Maybe we can't be too greedy. 
Yeah, well, Liam, that's interesting what you say that because uh, Westmead, when they won the Talton Cup this year, the buzz for Westmead people, even winning that, that trophy, and Leitrim were only beaten on penalties by Sligo. Uh, that competition is important. Is it a competition you embrace to maybe have that day out again, possibly in the future on Dandy Moran or somebody else? Yeah, definitely. I would, yeah. yeah. I mean, the cap really has widened considerably yeah. from the... You see that know, in Connacht this yeah, year. Yeah, you can see it, you know, and, and throughout the various provinces as well. You know, there is quite a gap there between... <coughs> Kerry and the, the Dublin and the big guns really you know so yeah I mean if it's it's early days yet really to assess it fully you know and to how teams will prepare for it and what sort of interest they're going to give it and also the GA authorities really have to back it as well and give it energy and give it the vump that it needs and you then you'll, you will hopefully see that it will have a good impact on the counties and they get some reward over it, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Martin, uh, so the book is fascinating because I suppose it's not only about your you know, upbringing and playing as a goalkeeper for Leitrim for a good few years and playing soccer uh, at one stage in the Longford Town uh, set up under Stephen Kenny, but also um, it gets into your life as well, Martin. Uh, you'd end up in club football with Longford and Cavan and then as you outlined in the book, you were diagnosed with cancer not once, but twice and years apart, Martin. Yeah, it was um, a tough road. Like you know, like two thousand nine was the when I got diagnosed with uh, testicular cancer. Like I just found it lumping me groin. But just uh, I was in the gym earlier that evening and uh, I was pushing myself because I was I was pushing thirty nine. I was trying to do extra training, trying to keep up with the young lads. that's fifteen years younger than me, and uh, and um, lying in bed one night and my legs were sore and I found this little lump in my groin. Like you know, but. As a typical man would do, luck will be all right to be gone tomorrow. But three or four weeks passed and he was still there. And I decided to go and see Dr. Loftus. Now, he has my own records of what, what my own past injury, injuries and all that. He wasn't sure what it was called. And he referred me to a specialist in Sligo and he had a look at it. And a lump is a lump. It has to be removed. It's a simple operation. And I remember going in on a Friday and um, having a lump removed. And he says, look, we'll send it off for the results of the biopsy and we'll let you know in two weeks. And sure enough, three, four days later, he rang back and says, come in, we'll have a chat and your results are back. And I sat in the office with him and says, you have testicular cancer. And it's, it's, it's words like that you never want to hear, but you know, one way it, it's, it's horrible news to get, but we talked for a while. And so look, it's, it's at the early stage and we have um, options ahead of me. And a lot of side effects, obviously, out of that treatment as well, uh, Martin. Yeah, um, you know, you had to go down to Galway to have an ulti- oh, sorry to have the testicle removed because there was some uh, cancer cells in that as well. So the only way to get a data to remove it and then treatment after it. So it was uh, either radiotherapy or chemo, and they weren't sure what we were going to do uh, regarding because the two lumps are found in different areas. And if it was found in one area, they were full sure they're going for radiotherapy. But because cancer is two different areas, they were going to make sure they're going to get any cancer cells anywhere else in my body. So I was given three months of intense treatment. And it is very tough. Like you're given lots of information of what's going to happen to you, the side effects and losing the hair and, you know, puking up your guts and diarrhea and taste for food, all that. The list is very, very long, like, you know. And when I seen the list the first time, I said, oh my God, this is going to be tough. But um, he did emphasize, look, it is going to be tough, but you're going to get through it and it is, you will see the light in the tunnel. That's all, you know, well and good and easier said than done. But when you're actually going through chemo, you know, the first week of chemo, I felt good and all that. And I was at home on a Saturday morning after my first week of it. And I said, geez, I feel great. And uh, what's all the fuss about? And I said, right, I mowed the lawn because the grass was long, like, you know, and five minutes into it, I started spewing my guts up. I went inside and got sick again, and then I got like, really tired. And I said to myself, this is the start of it. And then my second round of chemo, the hair started falling out. I get more tired and weaker. And as for the third round of chemo, that really pushed me over the edge regarding I was really sick every day, uh, diarrhea and puking, my taste of food was gone. Now, I like me tea and biscuits and sweets and all that. <laughs> but uh, any time I've seen it now, I didn't want to look at it at all. And um, it's really, really a tough road, like, you know, but um, the, the book in the book, it, it, it is state that 
at my lowest point, I get a phone call from a club in Cavan to um, come up and get him a training session. Yeah. So um, it was um, it, it was a, a phone call at start. It was like um, the manager was only ringing up to see how I was doing and see how I was feeling and all that. And um, but I knew he he had another question behind it, but I think he was afraid to ask. So I asked him, "What are you ringing for?" And he says, "He says that we are training tonight." I said, what time are training at? And I said, he says, at 8 o'clock. I says, no bother, I'll be there. And he says, are you sure? And I says, I will. And I says, this is around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I I says, right, I'll, I'll see you at around half 7 that evening. And I went to bed for a few hours to get a bit of sleep. And I got up and got my gear ready. And I had this thing come over me. And I had this bit of energy. I wasn't really thinking of getting sick and cancer and diarrhea and all that, you know. And, Hopped in the car and I was driving from Sligo to Kinnan Lake, Cushlock, that's the name of the club. And, and um, I know I got sick twice on the way up, but when I, when I arrived at the field and tugged out and got me footballs and all that, and but when I crossed that white line, this this energy came over me and says, this is where I want to be. I, do, I don't want to um, be thinking of, of, of cancer. I don't want to be thinking of getting sick. And the lads came out and they gave the lads a bit of a chat and all that, and they made a great session. And I, 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 for that hour and a half, I felt felt so alive. And I said to myself, what else can I do? And I think the following evening after, I went down to see my clubmates. I was playing with Tongish at the time in, in Longford. And um, I went down to see them. And as usual, I was leaning against the wall and my big, big bald head and some lads came out uh, slagging me straight away and give me head a bit of a shine and all that, you know, put a bit of a buff on it, you know. And uh, it's, it's a good crack, like, you know, to see the lads and see the teammates. And the manager came over, Liam Doherty came over and asked me to say a few words to them because they were going through a phase of, you know, they have no interest in playing football and they have sore legs and sore backs and, you know, excuse after excuse. So I said, I says, yeah, say a few words, like, you know. And um, put the lads in a circle and I asked one of the players to kick the ball over to me. I said, he kicked the ball to me and, and I said, I'll kick it back to you. Could I kick it back 10, 10, 12 feet? I had absolutely no energy in my legs at all. That's just the side effects of the chemo. And I say to the boy, this is what it is like, you know, Leslie. You're whinging and crying about footballing. You're whinging and crying about sore backs and groins and legs and all this. That's only lame excuses. I know, lads, I can't, I can't kick a ball. I want to be training. I want to be playing. And I can't. Right now, lads, I'm dying. Like. This could be a last year ever of winning a, a county championship. And I never mind but excuse the lad. Lads, like, whatever happens, I will be there to support you. If I had to bring the bed with me, I'll bring it with me to support you. And sure enough, we got to the county final. I tugged out, but I knew I wasn't going to be able to play. But he asked uh, Stephen Waters, as playing in goals at the time, that we're playing through Mard as a team we should have won easily enough. That if we're winning this game by a couple of points and a few seconds ago, Fake an injury, I'll run under the crowd, I'll give them a wave, and I'll retire happily. So I thought. But at half time, we were only, I think, three points apiece, and the blame game was on in the dress room, and I was sitting in the corner, and everybody's giving out to everybody, and I couldn't take any more. And I, I lit the roof of my language, and, you know, I more or less says, you have 30 minutes, lads, left. This could be the last 30 minutes ever. Look at me, lads. I want to play, but I can't. Get out there and give me the game of your lives. And fair enough, they went out and won the game by a point. Not and we're all yeah. around patting everybody in the back. And Paul Barden grabbed me by the shoulder and somebody threw a jersey on me and I went up to the podium. I lifted a couple of Paul. And right there then on the spot, I knew I had cancer. Oh, powerful, powerful words, um, Martin, powerful words. Um, John, you've also um, been um, affected by this experience yourself. Yeah, yeah, in the last couple of years, but I can identify with a lot of the description that Martin went through there. I suppose when you hear the word cancer, you get a jolt and your life flashes in front of you. And I'm a, I'm a lot of, I'm a lot older than Martin, but uh, and I suppose for, it was uh, you know family and all the rest of it. You don't want to go effectively and uh, all of that. But I think this is where again, and Martin has said about the the. You know how involvement in teams and in GA lifts you as well and I think it also gives you the discipline and I found this that you know once you get over the initial shock 
It's like, you know, if you have an issue in a match or a tactical issue that you have to deal with, you know, our mistakes are made. You know, you say, well, what do we need to do here to fix that? And I think when you meet your specialists and so on, and Martin's has said that as well there, and that was my experience, that they, they, they really assured me there's lots of things we can do here, you know, A, B and C and all the rest of it. And that's what happened. And you, 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 the discipline that you have built up in sport uh, over the years helps you in, in your health issues as well. And thanks be to God, I have come out the other end of it and hopefully hoping to be around for a number of years yet anyway and enjoy a little bit more, many more championships if we, if we can in that sense. So it, it is, but it, it does shake you to the roots. But you, you, you know, with the people around you and the supports, just as I suppose it's it's like teamwork, you know, in in the sense of dealing with football and teamwork and dealing with health issues. And and I know that Martin has spoken to groups and schools and so on about the importance of and, and it, about you know men especially not not. Um, you know, dealing with the issues that they need to deal with, you know, and I know that he's doing great work in that as well. So I think his book is is um, is uh, appropriately appropriately named. I I just like to to, to say about Martin as is I suppose uh, yeah. looking forward to joining him tomorrow evening, um, is that you know he was he was great in a dressing room. Uh, he was a joker in the pack in many in many respects. Uh, he could give as good as he got, but he could take it as well as give it. Uh, but de- behind that was a real seriousness. Uh, and I mean, I just became aware of him. He, he wasn't playing with us in 93, but I became aware of him. And I know how serious he took his game. So he had, you know, he had the perfect, he had the perfect match of maximising his 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 talents, and that's all any player can do. We mentioned about his five foot seven. I, I never actually <laughs> measured him, but he he never let that. He he was like a, a you know the way that he jumped, shot stopper, and so on. So it didn't impede him in any sense, and he maximised every talent he has. And long may that continue. And that's basically you know the Liam Conlans and the all the other lads with us, the Pori Kinnies and everyone else. That's what they did to to win for Leitrim, and I suppose I hope that that's what they're you know, and I know that that's what they're doing. Declan Darcy, our captain, an absolute hero, if you like, leader, and and you know, I was I thrilled to see these lads going on later later in in life, and Declan, who was born in Dublin but played with Leitrim because of his connections with his father Frank, and to see now you know been. Jim Gavin's right-hand man uh, for so many years, and I, I gather now is having a, a role in, in, in Leinster rugby, or will have a role in Leinster rugby. So I, I take great pleasure in the progress all these lads uh, have made, and uh, Liam there in his in his in his work and with the Gardaí and, and all the rest of it. Uh, fantastic uh, to see the progress that they made on and off the field, and I suppose you know. Uh, at the time, I remember in some of the motivational videos that we made around the time that I still have the copy somewhere of, you know, the 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 idea that, you know, the, the, the words of saying to them that not only them, but their children and their children's children will always have a bond wherever they meet throughout the world of their of their their, their folk that were in that famous day in Hyde Park in July the 24th, I think it was 1994. Yeah. Well, well said, John. And, and uh, Martin, uh, you had a second bout with cancer, prostate cancer. And uh, you're now working with Sligo University Hospital and giving these talks, as John has said. And it's really important for men to get regular health checkups and not to put their head in the sand and to realise that they just need to give themselves an MOT on a regular basis. You didn't even drink or smoke. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, it doesn't matter how fit you are at any age. Like, you know, like, especially over 44, 45, like, you know, like, when I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, like, you know, it, it just, like, it came about of me just getting me regular blood tests taken every six months after the, the cancer the first time. And I, I still do it to this day. I think it's, um, it's very important to stay in the system. And how it came about is, like, um, I was applying for a job in the in the Sligo Hospital to the agency I'm still with at the moment, uh, TTM agency down in Basin Innes. 
and they says that they, they want to take me on, no problem, but I need a letter from the doctor to say I was healthy. And like that, I went down to the doctor to get a letter from, from her and to say that everything's okay. And she looked at me screen and seen my liver's okay, my kidney's okay, and my cholesterol's up, Martin, you're small bit on the fat side, you know. I says, I know, doctor, I'm working on it, you know. <laughs> but my PSA was up. And um, to me, I didn't know what PSA was. It's related to your prostate. She said it's low, but we do another blood test just to see what's happening. And the next two or three blood tests after that, the number was rising. So something's going on. I was I was referred to the rapid prostitute in Galway. And that was a, there was a, a biopsy done there. And I had to wait for a couple of months for the results of that. And I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Now that came about, and I, I say it in my talks for men in particular, like, you know, 40, 40, 44, 45 up, you know, every man should go for an MOT because, you know, they call the cancer a silent killer. Like, nobody knows what's going on until it's too late for some people. And for men in particular, the, the prostate is, is a gland that's just behind the bladder that's, that swells as time goes on. Like, and that's just the way it is. And if you get to know, if you get your um, blood test taken and the uh, numbers are checked and all that, if everything's okay, that's great. And in fairness, now, if numbers are out of sync, they'll do a follow-up to see what's going on. And if things are okay, hunky-dory. But if it's not, they will nail it straight away. And I think that's the advantage I had, that even though my numbers weren't really, really high, but I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, and I had three options ahead of me regarding to deal with this this problem. And I ended up having the operation operation to remove the prostate. And thank God now all is hunky-dory. Yeah, no, well, no fair play, Martin. And it's important, Liam, isn't it, for all of us to... Oh, we've all been all been touched by, by illness or somebody we know and to for men to check themselves out. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree, I'd agree with that. Um, just a first cousin of mine, Jerome McKieran, a very young man. He also passed away with cancer, uh, pancreatic cancer, leaving a young family. So, yeah, it touches everybody. Absolutely. Um, what now, John O'Mahony, for, for, for Leitrim? Is there hope uh, with Andy Moran and the Talton Cup and different structures and maybe the fact that you could eventually have a league championship with different trophies for different divisions? Is there is there hope for Leitrim to have the glory days again in the future? Uh, there, there is. And I'm, you know, I'm very proud of, of the fact that it's another uh, Balladrine man and, and, and two, two Balladrine men, really. Uh, Andy Moran and Michael Solon, who are in there at the minute, along with Barry McQueenie, uh, and uh, you know they, they they had a good season in many respects. Brought it back. They had from from the previous year where, where Mayo beat them by a huge amount at Castlebar. But I, I I certainly think that they they you know the they could have been in a Talchin Lee Cup. You know that game was interestingly that that particular day. Um, uh, that game attracted, you know, nearly five thousand people in Carrickishan and between uh, Sligo and Leitrim, which was a fantastic atmosphere uh, and all of that. So I think the Torchon Cup has got uh, got on on a good note, and I think there needs to be a pathway there, as the boys have said. The the um, it you know it's not the gap is bigger now than it was back in the early nineties, but there needs to be a pathway there. So the teams can push themselves to the limit, break the glass ceilings. I mean, it is a huge fill-up for 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 Westmead, uh, and, and hopefully that you know the Leitrims and, and and the Sligos and all the other weaker counties can actually latch on to that. And you know what we were talking about here in '94 was the basis of that. One of them was was PJ Carroll winning the uh, what was called in the. All Ireland B Championship, which wasn't a great name to be honest, because it gave it, you know, but it, it, it that, that was a tremendous occasion at that time as well. So, and it was great to see all the weaker teams embracing the Tolchin Cup this year and, and uh, you know, getting a chance at silverware. And that's why I suppose the provincial title, you know, people say we should do away with the provinces, but I, I you know, when, when I, my experience after being with Leitrim and seeing them, what, what it meant to them to win that provincial title way back, I'd be very slow to get rid of it. I know it's yeah. difficult to 
integrated with the bigger picture maybe but there needs to be a chance and steps on the ladder and I think Leitrim are, are, are taking ha, have taken some of those steps particularly in the last 12 months and hopefully will continue to do so and, and uh, there's, there's a good group of, of players there at the minute so hopefully they can make further progress and uh, Martin McHugh the book launches tomorrow night in, in Carrick and Shannon uh, I believe uh that's at the Landmark Hotel at half seven for anybody who's around. Born to save your new your new autobiography, and it it finishes. And after all you went through, Martin, you you won an intermediate with uh, Ochna Sheelan in twenty seventeen. You were nearly fifty. Yeah, thanks for reminding the nearly fifty <laughs> part anyway. <laughs> but uh, no, it was it was it was a good year because uh, twenty seventeen, and we're down training one evening just to you know do a bit of training and just enjoy the crack and all that you know and. I had Sean Mahan and Dean Flanning were the goalkeepers at the time, so I was asked to get a bit of training, so I did, and the bug came back. So I done a couple of sessions with the lads and went to a few games, and I ended up being third choice keeper. And uh, lo and behold, um, the way things went, and the media was getting involved and taking notice of this fellow, 47 years old, that had back cancer twice, training away. You know, like um, it kept, it gave me an extra kick, an extra. Uh, next to uh, buzz for myself like you know and sure enough we won the county title in 2017 you know so like going on my knees at, at in the 94 at the county final and crying but I definitely cried when when the final whistle went in um, in the 2017 final like you know because when you're 47 years old and being through what I've been through uh, you have to really hard work and the body was waving a white flag but I have to look up the look up the word retirement because I don't understand what it means because I threatened to retire several times now, but I think I get the buzz of, of actually tugging out and crossing that white line and being involved. And 2017 winning the county title was a great achievement. And funny enough, that's a, what, five years later now, and I'm still training with the club. Uh, I'm happy enough to be number two. Kevin McQueen is the number one at the moment. But you know yourself, when you're, when you're playing the goals, you can be prone to a black card or getting injured. So I'm on standby. So I have it in my head now, one more medal and, and a deputy retirement retire <laughs> at, at a good age. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations, Martin, on the book. Um, born to save Martin McHugh and with uh, Jason Byrne of the um, Irish Sun. And uh, look, uh, I read it last night, uh, cover to cover. And, uh, you know, your honesty and your your candour and, you know, your, your the, the message you're putting out there about uh, people checking themselves out is, is really, really important. So congratulations, Martin. Thank you. And thank you, John O'Mahony. Thank you, John. Thank you. And Liam, thanks for coming to the studio. Cheers. Really appreciated uh, you, you uh, participating in the conversation as well about uh, all things Leitrim and all things 1994. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball.